monstrosity's voice horrors untouched conversations i'm your lovely host creator producer kaija fields just just call me kai guys you don't have to call me kai you can just call me kai <laughs> we are here to discuss the unconventionality of horror films this is the first episode of the podcast guys i'm super excited this was a very interesting process none the least um very tedious very hard working <laughs> process um but i just want to give a special shout out to all my friends and close family that have been pushing me to get the content going pushing me and encouraging me along the way to launch the podcast to create the content and also a special shout out to dr taylor dr blackwell and dr DeSell at prairie view and university for seeing a light in me and seeing that i can be a lover of the horror genre and also an academic at the same time shout out to jamarco shaw for this dope ass intro casey for the logo everybody who's been in my corner and been supporting me like god bless y'all y'all have really been pouring into me and i'm here to pour into y'all so i'm gonna go ahead and get straight to it today i will be discussing a horror short film that was suggested to me by my beautiful best friend chloe lewis shout out to chloe and dj it's called hair wolf guys it was made in 2018 it's on hbo now so stop what you're doing go ahead and head over to hbo now watch hair wolf it's only 12 minutes come back because i really want everyone to be on the same page so we can understand the concepts and tone of the discussion in today's episode all right so go ahead take some time out i'll come on back and super side note, guys, since we're getting comfortable with each other, I want everyone that's listening to understand that I'm from the South, like the deep South. And I guess someone brought it to my attention that I may have a little twang in my talk. So when I'm saying horror, it sounds like I'm saying whore. And I swear I'm not saying whore, guys. It's just I'm from the South and that's just how I talk. So please bear with me okay so going back into the episode we have hair wolf it was created in 2018 written and directed by the beautiful maria Madiallo. so please forgive me if i butcher her name she is a black woman stellar screenwriter stellar producer stellar director so the film takes place in a semi-modern day brooklyn new york the cast is about 90 percent black every black person in this film has some form of african garment on the representation is amazing i love it everything about this film is absolutely great so just a little synopsis of the film we have these black women who own a beauty salon in brooklyn and it's some weird stuff that's going on kind of eerie um you know encounters that they're having and it turns out that these brainless white zombies are on a hunt to seek and feed off of black culture for social media gain notoriety and following so when i was doing my research for this episode um which was extremely interesting by the way and fun to, to discuss or look up things on cultural appropriation um the film 
writer, um, she claims that cultural appropriation in this film is seen as a virus. The whites in the film are viewed as the undead seeking to take credit for black culture, specifically for social media cloud as stated before. Now, the concept of the film bled from this new idea of like the Instagram aesthetic. So you have these white social media influencers who believe that if they tan their skin, if they get plumper lips, if they darken their makeup or take other elements of black features, then it will help them become more popular. So Maria Diallo compares the fast growing disassociative beauty trends that is like exploding on social media now kind of to like the invasion of the body snatchers like no one's really being themselves and you can't really tell like what's real and what's not because it's so infiltrated into like our daily interactions on social media so first i'm going to give you guys just a little history of cultural appropriation and why black women like myself don't fuck with it like sorry mom (laughs) but we are not having social cultural appropriation So cultural appropriation is when a group of privileged individuals pick apart a culture that's belonging to a group of marginalized people. So then they take that and they use it for fashion, performances, profit, and they leave behind the true meaning of which they took, thus disrespecting the culture from which it was born. So you take a factor of someone else's culture and turn it into a trend without the cultural awareness. So obviously, guys, we live in the age of Twitter, Black Twitter. I love Black Twitter. You're going to hear me reference Black Twitter a lot in this podcast, guys. So with the emergence of Black Twitter and Instagram, we have grown to have a better understanding of the celebrities that have been accused of cultural appropriation. So I kind of gathered a small list of about three or four celebrities who it just burns my soul. Like it literally makes my flesh crawl. Like these ladies and gentlemen, um, ladies just just do it blatantly and don't give a fuck, and it's just ridiculous. Numero uno, number one, Miley Cyrus. I have to breathe, guys, when I talk about Miley. We all know Miley. We all know Hannah Montana. We all know that she started off as a country artist. Her dad is Billy Ray Cyrus, the mullet guy, who's also being embraced by Black Twitter due to his remix with Lil Nas X and the Old Town Road. So that's very ironic. But we have Miley Cyrus. She started off as a Disney artist. And then one day I wake up and she's making music with Mike Will Made It and Big Sean. And she's wearing Jordan. So she cut her hair and she's twerking and she's using black women as pawns in her video. And I'm just like, what? And then that performance with Robin Thicke on the MTV Music Awards. I think it was MTV. I don't freaking know. I just know that it was a hot mess. And like... It was obvious, like, cultural appreciation and cultural appropriation are literally, like, two completely different things. Like, you could tell when somebody's like, hey, I respect this genre of music or I respect these people. Let me show my appreciation of that. And, hey, let me try to reach a demographic. Let me try to go and try to look cool so I can take their money, too, because obviously my sale, my record sales, sales aren't, you know, where they need to be. So the kicker with Miley Cyrus that I really didn't appreciate is that she sat up here and made these songs with these rap producers and these rap artists. But then two years after Bangers, her rap album, air quotes, came out, she calls herself bashing people or bashing hip hop artists on in an interview saying that their lyrics are demeaning and degrading to women. What's demeaning and degrading is the fact that you use black women as a a satirical mockery pawns in your video because you think that twerking is some marketable thing like no ma'am you can't moving forward Iggy Azalea I'm gonna keep it real short and sweet with Iggy because I actually do like one of her songs literally one of them but whatever Iggy made herself look like a light-skinned black woman and the killer part is 
That's the thing. When white people try to look like black people, they try to look like biracial, light-skinned black people. And that, with it, for me, I feel like that fuels like a different, another avenue of colorism within the black community. Like, sis, you're from Australia. Like, just, just let it go. Second, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. It was difficult for me because I kind of... I like Katy Perry's music, some of it, but once I saw this video from Katy Perry, it kind of turned me off because I was like, dang, I really thought that she was not problematic until I saw her making a mockery of a black woman. She had the cornrows in her video, the long nails, the jewelry, and she had like this spunky attitude as if she was pretty much making a mockery of a black woman. Now, Taylor Swift, she did something that was kind of uh, blatant but secretive at the same time. So in her Shake It Off, is it Shake It Off? Shake It Up? One of those. In her Shake It Up video... She, in one scene, is dressed in urban clothing, and she's twerking, and she's, you know, gyrating and doing hip-hop dances and all that, and she has black women, all black women, or women of color, in, um, as her background dancers, but then she switch over, and she's doing ballet, and there's only white women, and I'm like, what the heck? Are black women not multifaceted and talented enough to be ballet dancers? Is that what you're projecting, sis? I don't know. That just, it really didn't sit well with me. And now we've come down to the infamous Kardashians. The Kardashians are a perfect example of taking something that doesn't belong to you and legitimately building an empire and making a profit off of it. Like, they have single-handedly created an empire off the backbone of appropriating black culture. Like, initially, I thought it was because they were, like, unaware. Like, their upbringing, who they were around. But most of them are married or have been married to black men and have children by these black men so they have biracial children you know they're they're married and they sleep with these black men and it's obvious what they're doing like but what really got me at first it's like they do it so much it's kind of like we've gotten used to it and we've kind of been conditioned you know but when kim kardashian wore those braids and tried to make them boderic braids i was through so she classified the braids that she had um, as Bo Derek braids. I don't know if you guys remember when she wore cornrows, but this, the, in the specific style that she wore them, she um, took them from a uh, white hair, excuse me, a white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired actress from the 70s named Bo Derek, who just so happened to wear the same style of braids. But the issue is, is that you're all on E! News and you're all on social media saying that they're Bo Derek braids, when in actuality, they're Fulani braids from the Fulani tribe in West Africa. So you, the issue that I have is that you gave this European woman the credit for a traditionally West African hairstyle just because she just so happened to wear it. You didn't do your research. You didn't give credit to where credit was due. And I'm so sick of Kylie Jenner forcing the baby hairs. Like you don't have, like, no, it's just, it's just this extra things like that. It's just like you're, like you're trying to make a mockery. There's even been a term when I was doing my research called the Kardashian effect, which is like this movement of young people seeking to get cosmetic surgeries. Like you're 16. Why do you want lip fillers so bad? Like it's, it's crazy. It's like, what are these women really projecting to young women and men? Like you take from the black culture and create these unrealistic ideas of what beauty is. And then you make a profit profit off of it. Women like the Kardashians, they represent a form of like such racial fetishization, like taking things that black women are degraded for, such as the way our butts look, the way our lips look, and they profit off of it. I can remember personally speaking, when I grew up, I got made fun of because of the way my lips look. I got made fun of because of the way my body was shaped. So you mean to tell me these girls can sit up here 
and and profit off of this stuff now the things that we as black women were made fun of i don't know if you guys are aware but historically sarah bartman was treated in exhibit like a freak show for her large butt and black women are still ridiculed as such but women like j-lo and women like Kim Kardashian are praised for these same exact things. It's like women like the Kardashians push these beauty narratives as if it is naturally theirs. Like the whole fiasco with Kylie Jenner, like sis, we knew those lips weren't yours, but you're seeing up here pushing this whole idea that it really is yours. Cultural appropriation legitimately has become so common that there is a new phase of it called blackfishing. Now, I wasn't really familiar with blackfishing until about like 2016 when the whole thing with, um, Rachel Dozell came out and I'll speak on her in a second, but black fishing is literally where non-black social media influencers literally portray themselves as full bum black people to get notoriety on social media. Like as I'm describing it, like it's really happening. Like the concept is wild, like black fishing. Anyways, keep going, keep going. So we have Rachel Dozell. Rachel Dozell is a white woman who felt as if she identified as a black woman, changed her name got a tan, got some box braids, honey, and she is now somebody else. She was so involved that she was an NAACP president in her region. She was a professor of African-American studies. And she was considered a local, I wouldn't say civil rights leader, but she was definitely a black leader in her area. Her parents exposed her as a white woman in 2015. And on top of that, she was falsifying reports to get public assistance and now she has a felony fraud charge. I don't know like what the end um, of the case was. I didn't get into that, but like, what the heck? You sit up here and you are going around in your black suit and falsifying reports trying to make it seem like you don't have no money, you don't have this, and now you have a fraud case on you. Like, no ma'am. So now that I've given you guys just a very short lesson on cultural appropriation, I'm gonna go ahead and dive straight into the movie. So Hairwolf starts off with a pan shot of mannequin heads with wigs on them. So you obviously want the audience to know that this is a black hair store. We have Cammy. Cammy is the one of the main actresses with the two big puffs on the side of her head. She's in the hair store. She's looking at products casually, what we all do. And all of a sudden the lights start to flicker and some creepy stuff is going on. And then a can of Motion's oil sheen like rolls over and she goes to pick it up. She turns around and she screams and boom, it's the title card and it's Hairwolf. And side note, the title card gives me super 1970s black boy, black exploitation vibes and I love it. It's amazing. So now we're introduced to the other three main characters. We have Janice, Eve, and Damon. Okay, so Eve is sitting there and she's braiding Damon's hair and they're having a discussion um, about hoodoo and juju and about the importance of, hey, make sure you throw the hair away because there's people out here taking hair and casting spells and all that stuff on other people. Janice, um, who I'm assuming is the owner, she kind of has that like dominant, maybe it's her shop, dominant, you know, feel to her so she's sweeping the hairs on the floor and from the first conversation you can kind of identify that Janice is more of the passive person Eve is definitely passionate and racially racially aware um and so is Damon and Cammy's kind of timid well you'll understand once we get more into the discussion but so they're interrupted by Cammy who storms into the store and she's like guys there's something fucking strange going on in the neighborhood. So side note, the film takes place in Brooklyn where gentrification is definitely rampant. So that statement can be an underlying emotion of how blacks feel about the forceful infiltration of whites in their community. So I definitely took that as a, hey, like not only is this white 
or white people coming into our neighborhoods, renaming them, building all this stuff and taking away our historically black stores and, and neighborhoods. But there's zombies here too. Like what else can happen? What, what more can happen guys? <laughs> so if you look closely in like the background of the salon, you can definitely tell that this is a black owned um, salon by the small tr trinkets and decorations. So like I kind of um, saw a few that I like, like the Vote Chisholm 1972 um, sticker. Obviously, Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman elected to Congress and she ran for president in 1972. Um, you have the iconic Marcel Iron. Um, a staple in any black salon. You have a framed $20 bill with President Barack Obama's photo in the center. And on top of that, you have a picture of Michael Jackson in his prime thriller days. So you are, this whole thing is set up to let you know that this is a black owned and black loving salon here. Okay, so now we're back on Cami. She is shook. She walks in and she storms into the salon and she's shook. She pours herself a glass of wine. And she's trying to explain to Eve and Janice and Damon what happened. So she's talking like, hey guys, I met this mysterious creature um, at the hair store. And she is sitting there and she's like looking at this bottle or this jar of blue magic grease, like in awe of it. And she looks at her, at Cammy, and she's like, do you think this will lay my edges? Side note, pause. I may be reaching y'all, but I totally feel like this is like a representation of the obvious cultural unawareness and insensitivity because every black person knows that blue magic grease is for your scalp, not for your edges. Come on. Anywho, so she refers to this mystery woman whose name is Rebecca as Count Becula died. When she said Count Becula, I died. So after Count Becula Ask, his, ask Cammy about the grease. She proceeds to compliment Cammy on her hair. And she's like, oh my God, your hair is so beautiful. Can I touch it? And she's like moving forward. And Cammy is like frantic. And so then she reaches into Cammy's hair and pulls a chunk out of it legitimately. So keep in mind that we were talking earlier about Damon and Eve, who were talking about people casting spells and people um, doing, you know, bad things with people's hair, you know, so... Cammy takes that uh, bottle of oil sheen and she uses that in fits to ward off Count Becula. And so she makes her way towards the salon. Um, Cammy is distraught because she believes that Count Becula intentionally took out her hair for evil intention. Um, David, Damon, excuse me, even refers to um, her as a white devil. <laughs> so, and then ironically, as soon as he says white devils, Rebecca pops up. And she's lifeless and she's like has this dead look in her face and she's like braids as if like a normal zombie will be like brains but she's saying braids so janice answers the door and she's trying to understand what the heck rebecca's saying so um she clarifies and she's like like boxer braids thanks chloe kardashian for coining the term boxer braids Cammy's like, hey, Janice, get over here. That's Count Becula. What are you doing? Uh, Janice is extremely dismissive. Obviously, that's her character type and is more worried about the money that she could make um, from braiding Rebecca's hair. She even makes a side joke about getting her reparations back from this white woman, which I thought was hilarious. So she comes back to Rebecca and she's like, they'll be 250 which is absolutely ridiculous for some damn box braids. Rebecca's like, I don't care, I'll pay. Janice is shook, but she's like, come on in, that's 250. So when Rebecca sits in the chair, Janice is like, okay, so what do you want? 
and Rebecca says some of the most generic terms. She's like, can I get something that's funky? Something like Rihanna? And even Janice is like taken aback, like, girl, what you know about Rihanna? And then something extremely funny happens. So Rebecca sees a small piece of hair on the floor that is there, obviously you're at a hair salon, and she screams and she's like, oh my God, I thought it was a little bug, but it's just your hair. Like what? Janice looked like she wants to smack her. But what's crazy is, is how Rebecca takes a piece of hair, puts it on her lip, upper lip as if like she's making it seem like it's a uh, mustache, and she takes a picture with it. Now, when she does that, she's like, this is going to go viral. Now, this is really important because this is how she infects her victims. The camera and the idea of going viral is the weapon of choice. Rebecca is so obsessed with going viral that she literally takes a picture with a piece of hair fuzz. Like she's brainless and she represents the countless empty vessels thirsting on popularity popularity and fame and will literally do anything to get it, including milking the essence of a culture that you have no idea of or awareness of just because it's deemed popular. So now you have Janice who seems so unbothered and fed up with Rebecca trying to get her to the back to get her lip wax. Sis is trying to get as much money from this white girl as possible. They leave and go to the back room. Rebecca leaves her backpack in the salon chair. You have Damon, Cammy, and Eve all staring at the backpack, trying to look inside, obviously, to make sure that Cammy's hair is not inside. And if you pay close attention, you can notice that there are two other white zombies in the background of the window. Cammy noticed the other zombies and she slaps the window and she's like, braids. That is so creepy, guys. So Cammy runs to the bag, begins to search in it for her hair, and she finds a selfie stick. And like, ironically, Eve makes a smart remark <laughs> saying, is that like a police baton? No pun intended. Once they discover the selfie stick, Damon says with disgust, and excuse my language, oh fuck, she's an Instagram hoe. And also refers to her as a penis flytrap, meaning that most men only want her for sex. Funny side note, it's hilarious when Cammy overreacts when she thinks she's bleeding and finds out it's lip liner. So once they go through the bag, they find lip liner, a selfie stick, booty pads, aka according to Damon, Oakland booty, which was hilarious. So Janice finally walks out of the wax room and she looks completely different from the way that she walked in. She has on a blonde wig and her makeup is like, in my opinion, she's beat for filth. But obviously she has on like an intensified amount of makeup to kind of show that she's covering up something which is an implication that obviously she's been affected by Count Becula. Um, she's forgotten about her real beauty um, and she has traded that in for a image of what one would consider a quote unquote Instagram hoe. Even Damon himself whispers, I told y'all she was, she was a sellout. This is also important because like I stated before, um, throughout the entire film, Janice has always been the most dismissive one in regards to concepts of black pride. She kind of comes off as a bit selfish. Cammy and Eve and Damon are so distraught at this point and Cammy is even like sis what happened to happy nappy is happy and Janice is like nappy you don't know my curl pattern I'm a 3b this is also important because within the black natural hair community there's this internal war of what is considered good hair labeling curl patterns and hair textures like 3b versus 4c um, it's important because in a sense, she's kind of disowning her natural curl pattern. Like obviously before she walked into the wax room, she was not a 3B. She, and she's combating with Cammy about it. 
So Janice is like, okay, Eve, I need you to braid her hair and she's willing to pay and I need the coin. So if she won't pay, then you will. And then, and then she walks off. And even when she walks off, it's funny that even though her hair and her makeup has changed drastically, she still has on her African garment, which to me was kind of a sense of hope. That okay, uh, granted, we are infiltrated with countless amounts of false beauty expectations and standards. There's still a sense of you can save yourself with self-love and you can save your idea of true beauty with self-empowerment. And side note, guys, can we please stop um, equating black women who wear blonde hair with the concept that they want to be white women or that they don't love themselves? Believe it or not, there are black people on this planet specifically noted in Solomon Island that are born with dark skin and blonde hair. Blonde hair does not solely belong to white people, and that's why European beauty standards, falsified European beauty standards, suck the life out of black beauty. So we have Rebecca, she's getting ready to get her hair braided and Damon walks past her and she grabs his hand and she says the inevitable. Oh my God, I'm so tan, like as black as you. So initially I thought, oh my God, this woman just touched this dude, he's infected. But no, she didn't infect him until she took the picture and she like whispered viral. And at this point, Cammy is like petrified, like this bitch is shook. <laughs> And Eve is still like in her own world in the background, like trying to grasp the concept that this white woman came in demanding these boxer braids. And it's like saying all these like racist comments and she has no idea what she's saying. And even Cammy is like, fuck edges, this girl is snatching souls. So Eve braids her hair. Rebecca is like creepily in awe. And she says, once her hair is finished, she says strike a pose and then she takes a picture of herself but Eve's in the background and of course when she takes the photo that's when the infection happens with Eve so as soon as she finished taking the picture she's like are you ready babe <laughs> and I'm, I'm like babe who feels babe child she's talking about Damon and this is where Eve is like done Eve now has a sense of hopelessness and despair because Rebecca took Damon away from her. And it's definitely one of the main turning points of the film and a main turning point for Eve and Rebecca. Because the entire film, like I said before, Cammie and Eve have been somewhat holding strong. But now Eve is beginning to question herself and her blackness, not to mention she's unknowingly infected. So with tears in her eyes, she's like, Damon, I know I didn't join the Nation of Islam for you to walk away with the enemy. She even makes a comment saying like she's made out of pork, like she's a whole pig. Obviously referring to the fact that people who practice the religious belief of Islam don't eat pork. Eve is trying to remind Damon of who he is by referring to figures like Shaka Zulu or the Malcolm and the Black Lives Movement. And as soon as she says Black Lives Matter, it is a triggering point for both Damon, the new Damon, or the infected Damon, as I should sh say, and Rebecca. They both turn their heads in disbelief and Damon says in the most funny way, all lives matter. Oh, I died. Sunken place alert, guys. Someone please call Jordan Peele. And also notice that Dave, uh, Damon's garment at first or the patch on his shirt was of African garment earlier, but now it has changed into a plaid pattern. So Eve is just distraught. Rebecca came in, infected her friend, her man, and now herself unknowingly. 
And this is the point of complete climax. And she is talking to Cammie and she's like, you know what? You can have the most black power, black lives. And he's still waiting for his chance to be with a white woman. And this is kind of like an internal thought of some black women who deal with black men who belittle black women in regards to interracial dating. So Eve is talking to Cammy, and she's like, you know what? Cammy says something very profound. She says, these girls would take our lips, asses, hair, and men. They've got everything we've got except the skin on our backs. And at this point, you can see where the infection is starting to take over Eve. Her makeup has intensified, her head wrap is gone, and now she has the blonde wig, and she's beginning to realize what is going on, and she's belittling herself, talking about how um, our skin doesn't matter, and things of that nature. And Cammy is like, oh crap, I have to save her, I have to tell her to fight this and love herself, so my theory is true. Self-love, self-empowerment, and the love and empowerment that we pour into each other is what can cure this falsification of beauty standards in the Black community. Back on topic. And Eve is like, how can you um, believe this BS? And Cammie is like, hey, we need to stop this. So Cammie is reminding Eve of her self-worth and reminding her and giving her example of black women who represent empowerment. And she lists things like, she says that we dominate in sports. Black don't crack. And she says something that's so funny. And it took me like four times to look at this um, scene over and over to like decipher what she was saying. And she says, De Niro loves us down. Because Robert De Niro was married to a black woman and he does. I thought that was so funny. She says, um, iconic black women, Tina Turner, Janet Jackson, Angela Bassett, Gabrielle Union Wade. And at this point, you can kind of see Eve is slowly starting to transform back into her normal self. They hug each other and Eve whispers, girl, you give me life. And like I said before, one of the most important ways to combat the effects of cultural appropriation and the falsification and pushing of these false beauty standards is self-empowerment and the empowerment of each other. So obviously everything's back to normal. Everything's good. They hug it out. Girl, you give me life, which was very ironic. Um, and there's a white zombie male this time who steps by the window and he's like, fade. And they're like, what? <laughs> and Cammy, or excuse me, Eve is like, girl, it's just some white boy trying to get a fade. And they're like, you know what, sis? Let's just get out of here. And Cammy's like, yeah, you can't cut that good hair. What? Plot twist. Obviously, Cammy had been infected the whole time. She got infected in the beginning of the film when she met Cal Becula at the hair store. Ugh, plot twist, plot twist, plot twist, plot twist. And the thriller reference at the end took my life. Like, oh, Maria Diallo, sis, you did your thing on this movie. Like, reverting back to cultural appropriation, how it affects everyone and specifically how it affects us, more so a reflection. So obviously we know about white colonialism and how white folks love taking things that don't belong to them and trying to take credit for them. Cultural appropriation broadcasts the values of white colonialism and it also deflects the issues regarding the group that's being marginalized. It represents cultural oppression and it is an excuse to um, continue on the power to oppress um, 
while still hating the group that's being marginalized you want to take something from us while still hating us cultural cultural exchange cultural assimilation and cultural appropriation are three very very different things if you think about the foundation that this country was founded on, um, which is white colonialism, um, from the falsifying of Christopher Columbus, what he stood for, slavery, the oppression of an entire race of people, and now even down to whites picking apart black culture um, and so that they can rename it and call it their own, white colonialism is so embedded in white history, or the lack thereof, that we legit have to tell them that they're doing something that's wrong. Like, they don't see a problem with it. Black people are still being socially, politically, and economically stoned for the same things that whites are being praised for. Cultural appropriation represents the false information of those who are taking concepts and elements of black culture and they're spreading false information on the marginalized group's culture. Um, the narrative of ghetto versus aesthetically pleasing. You have white women who can have the colored hair um, versus the black woman who it's seen as being ghetto. And this is like a super side note story. Um, I remember in... High school freshman, no, 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 high school senior year, I wanted micro braids and I wanted them to be like bloodshot red. And my good friend, Maya Hawkins, shout out to Maya. She told me, and I'll never forget this until the day I die. She said, if Katy Perry and Lady Gaga can walk around with colored hair, so can you. That within itself is a representation of how on one end of the spectrum, it's seen as artistic and creative. And on the other end, it's seen as ghetto. And it's something that's so embedded within our culture to make sure that we aren't stepping on eggshells to come off as ghetto as black people, that we have to suppress our creative expressions through our hair, our clothing that is embedded within our history and things that we created. Alrighty, guys. This film, Hair Wolf, was beautifully orchestrated. Maria Diallo and the cast did an amazing job. Um, like I said, it is a horror comedy short. It is extremely funny. Please go check it out on HBO now. Um, hopefully I didn't talk too much and it didn't sound too much like a class. Um, just wanted to let you guys know um, the different angles that I felt that the film presented. Alrighty guys, that's it for today's episode of Monstrosity's Voice, Horrors Untouched Conversations. If you have any short horror films or films in general that you guys want me to talk about or dissect or discuss, um, let me know. I am all for doing critical analysis over films and books. Um, please let me know what you think about the episode. It is my first episode. I'm new to the whole podcast thing. Um, so I'm definitely down for constructive criticism. If you want to follow me on Facebook and Twitter, it's MVHU Podcast, MVHU Podcast. And my personal Instagram is going to be KY underscore FX. I'm always on social media to answer you guys' questions and you guys can interact with me. I will be posting and uploading new content every two weeks. Y'all stay blessed and don't forget to always, always support black horror films. This is for black horror by black horror.